So um, tonight, really, we're, we're looking at the last of our um, Rumours of Revival series. We've been having a, a series through the, the summer, or through the last, since Easter, since Easter, Rumours of Revival. And we've been looking at how um, different themes are often accompanied by revival through the history of the church uh, and the history of God's people. And since Easter, we've looked at things like the Word of God, faith, mission, welcome, listening, covenant, prayer. Uh, and we've seen how revival in individual lives and in regions of the world uh, is often linked with these things. So tonight, uh, we come to the end of this particular little series. Tonight, we're looking at suffering. Uh, and, and there is really sort of no jovial way of, of looking at suffering. Um, there's a lot of it in the world. or maybe Our own hearts may be breaking tonight because of some particular issue or issues. Um, just this afternoon, I was with a, a family who lost a loved one this morning. So suffering is very real, but God has something to say to us tonight on this, on this subject. So we want to, to read, we're going to turn to God's Word now, and we're going to read from Isaiah 53, and uh, it's on page 900, or 740, page 740 of the, the church Bible, or on your, you may look it up on your phone or your own Bible, uh, page 740 anyway of the, the church Bible. And um, Isaiah 53, and it's, awful, it's often entitled The Suffering Servant, um, but it's a, it's a picture that God gives to the prophet Isaiah of Christ, of 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 his death and resurrection. Uh, and it's many hundreds of years before it happened. So uh, it's, a, it's a word of prophecy that God gives to a prophet to share with his people. So we're going to read uh, from Isaiah chapter 53. And it says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we finish our reading there and the suffering of Jesus. But we, we acknowledge that there is much suffering in our world and we don't take suffering lightly and, and we, we understand that people are suffering. We have it at times in our lives. We're instructed, we're, we're instructed to lessen suffering whenever we can. I mean, Paul writes that in Galatians to bear one another's burdens. So we come to this tonight aware of the suffering in the world, in our own lives, in the world around us. But suffering happens. It happens, and it's actually promised in the Bible. Jesus said in John chapter 16, he said this, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, and that's a promise of God. You see, we love to claim the promises of God. I know I do. I love to claim those promises. You know, I will be with you always. My grace is sufficient. You will be with me in paradise. We love to claim the promises of God, don't we? But we're a bit more reluctant about this one. In this world, you will have trouble. A bit more reluctant about this one. But we know this promise to be true. We know it to be true because we feel it in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. It's a reality. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes this, we are afflicted in every way, in all sorts of ways. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. And in Luke 9, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and follow, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so as we answer the call to take up our crosses and follow Jesus, let us start by looking first at his suffering. It's a very appropriate place to start as we come to communion. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus' suffering, that's the place to start to talk about suffering, isn't it? And that's what we read in passage, the passage from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the prophet has this vision from God. He prophesies what would come to pass at Calvary. And look at some of those words that were used to describe the suffering of Jesus. It just struck me as I just picked those words out. Look at them. Despised, rejected, stricken, smitten, afflicted, pierced, crushed, punished, wounded, oppressed, slaughtered, cut off, poured out. Wow. And they're all in that passage that we read. Talk about suffering. And what was all this suffering for? Well, it was to bring revival. It was to bring revival. Because, you see, that's the first thing, link that we can make between suffering and revival. Christ's suffering leads to our spiritual and physical revival. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You see, by our human fallen nature, we have turned our backs on God. By going our own way, we've gone astray like sheep gone astray. We've wandered away from God and we've wandered into the land of sin and death. But Christ's suffering leads to our rescue. Christ's suffering leads to our rescue, to our forgiveness, to our healing, to our restoration, to our awakening, to our coming to life spiritually 
and having life in all its fullness and even life eternal. You see, Jesus said that he had come to ransom us from death, to set us free from death and its hold on us, to bring us from death to life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, he said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, we were spiritually dead. We were dead as a doornail. But through Christ's suffering, death, resurrection, we, we have spiritual life. We have been born again as we've trusted in him. As we trust in Christ and allow his spirit to come and live inside us, we are born again. We become spiritually alive. So if we're believers in Jesus, we're spiritually alive. That's the first part of the revival that he gives us. That's the first part of the good news of the gospel. But physically, what about physically? Physically, because of sin in the world, we are, whether we like it or not, we are physically dying. But here's the rest of the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus' suffering leads not only to our revival from the dead spiritually, but also one glorious day to our revival from the dead physically. You see, the keys of death were, figuratively speaking, they were hanging in the inside of Christ's tomb in Jerusalem. Oh yes, as he walked the streets of Palestine, Jesus did many awesome and wondrous things, including raising a young girl and two men from the dead. But they died again. You see, to defeat death for good, Christ would have to go there. He would have to go there. He would have to die. He would have to suffer on the cross, enter the tomb, take the keys. Take the keys. And unlock the door of death from the inside. And that's what he did. That's what he did. And we call it Easter. You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the the proof that his work on the cross was completely successful. Paying for our transgressions, redeeming us from sin, freeing us from death. From the cross, Christ the Son cried out, it is finished. From the empty tomb, God the Father cries out, it is finished indeed. The work of paying for our sin, of providing our ransom, it was accomplished by Christ's suffering and death on the cross. Then in the tomb, he had the right and he had the power to take those keys, the keys of death, and open the door to new life to all who come to him. You see, sin is paid for, death is defeated, and there is no reason No reason for God's people to stay in the grave. No reason. Not now. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. Jesus standing triumphantly. God gives John this picture. Jesus is standing triumphantly. Shaking the keys and saying, Look, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. I've got the keys. You see, the Bible assures us that the wonderful truth that as we die to ourselves and as we live for Jesus, then we too will be raised like him. From death to life. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul writes this, For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But, 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 
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not yet come to Jesus, well then let me invite you tonight. Let me invite you to come to him now. He is the resurrection and the life. So firstly, we see that Jesus' suffering leads to our spiritual and physical revival. Secondly, we, we, we can see and, and know that collective suffering can lead to church growth and renewal. We move into another area of revival here. Speaking of the day that the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. St. Luke records in Acts 8, he says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see, again, whilst none of us would go looking for it, and, and, and not underestimating in any way the terrible suffering that many Christians have gone through and continue to go through, we see from the history of the church right back in the first century and continuing, continuing right through to today, we see that persecution and the collective suffering of Christians has often led to church growth and renewal. Yes, it's always been happening, and it still happens happens today. You can visit the website of organizations like Open Doors and Release International, and you can find out more about this. And the, the Open Doors World Watch map, it, it gives us some ideas of the countries where the church is being persecuted today. I spent last week in one of those countries. In that place, it is illegal to share the gospel, to convert to Christ, or to have a Bible in the local language. Getting caught doing any of these things will get you expelled from the country, locked up, or worse. You see, the, the church is persecuted in many places today, folks. And our brothers and sisters are living in very different contexts from ours. And it can be hard going. And they need our prayers and our support. But nevertheless, this lesson comes through time and time again. God often uses persecution and suffering of his people to spread the gospel, to bring revival to the church. He often spurs the church into the mission that he has given us by suffering. It's evident from the book of Acts. Acts 1, or Acts, in Acts chapter 6, that we read that verse on that day. A great persecution broke out against the church and at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You see, up until then, the ministry of the church had been confined to Jerusalem. No one had moved out to Judea and Samaria. But do you remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1? He said, and with the coming of the Holy Spirit, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. And so, he, so here now in Acts 8, it uses exactly those two unreached areas in that order. They were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. God used persecution to move his people into the mission field that he had for them. To confirm this missionary purpose of persecution, we can read in Acts 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to, to preach, to, to speak to Greeks. That's the non-Jews. Also telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. You see, the persecution 
sent the church out from Jerusalem, out to fulfill the mission that God had called them to. It's a strange principle, isn't it, that probably goes right to the heart of our own sinfulness and and, and Christ's sufficiency. The principle that hard times like persecution often produce more prayer, more power, more sharing, more church growth than easy times. Here at Orangefield, we've recently made contact with some Iranian uh, Christians living here in Belfast. And it is believed by many scholars that the Magi or the wise men who came to Bethlehem to visit the baby Jesus, that they were from the region now known as Iran. But Iran is on that uh, Open Doors World Watch list. Ninth worst Christian persecuting country in the world. One of the most difficult places for Christians to live. But also, it has the distinction of being one of the countries in the world where the church is growing fastest. Influencing the whole area and beyond for Jesus. Operation World recently rated, listed, listed Iran as having almost 20% rise in, in a Christian population annually. More than any other country in the world. You see, despite a crackdown, there's a wonderfully growing Christian church in Iran. Following the 1979 revolution, overseas missionaries were expelled, evangelism was outlawed, Farsi language Bibles were banned, and many Christians were jailed or killed. And people feared that the Iranian church, a little church as it was at that time, would, would shrivel and die. But many Iranians continued to seek for truth, and Christians there continued to witness sensitively but bold, boldly for Christ in the face of suffering. And, and some research suggests that in the last 20 years, more Iranians have come to Christ than in 1,300 years before that. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 indigenous Christian believers. Today in Iran, there are hundreds of thousands, some would say perhaps a million. And not just inside Iran, but even here in Belfast. Who would have thought it? Some of our folks here from Orangefield have been ha- uh, helping with the Iranian church at Windsor. It's happening in Belfast. Iranians coming to Jesus. It's happening in places like Athens, where many Iranian refugees are turning to Christ and where we have a growing connection with, a, with churches and, and ministries there. Noah, who was leading our worship, Noah and Susie, his wife, will be going out to Athens later this year, in this August. We have a growing connection and many Iranians are in Athens and the church there is growing. And we'll soon be sending some Farsi Bibles out there to help those Iranian folks to have God's Word in their own language so they can grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. And folks, I'm going to plug it because, yeah, we want to get this done and dusted. You'll see in your announcement sheet that there's a Bible twinning project there that we have going. And we want to provide Bibles for Orangefield and Bibles for Athens. Our target is 4,500. We're over halfway there. We're on the home straight. Let's get it done and dusted. Let's provide Bibles for this part of God's church. And let's get in on the revival in the Iranian part of God's church. Folks, you can donate online. You can use little envelopes. Thank you. Let's be part of it. So we see that Jesus' suffering leads to our spiritual and physical revival. The collective suffering can, of Christians can lead to church growth and re- renewal. 
And thirdly and lastly for this evening, our individual suffering can lead to our own personal growth and renewal. Firstly, here we see suffering in one area of our lives may, can make us more thankful in other areas of our lives. As I've said, we don't want it, and we, we don't want either to talk glibly about the suffering other people go through, and it's thoroughly biblical to do our best to alleviate it when we can. But, but suffering in one area of our lives can give us perspective and help us count our blessings in another area so that we will be thankful people. I once heard someone say, I used to think I was suffering and complained because I had no shoes. Then I met a man with no feet. You see, I may think I'm suffering because my eyesight's not what it was when I was a kid and I have to wear a pair of spectacles. But then I think of my grandmother, who was blind. And I'm just delighted that I can see perfectly well through my glasses. Or I think of a dear brother who I fellowship with in a church in London, and, and he is unable to go out to work now because of a debilitating physical disability that he has. And the last time I met with him, he looked up at me from his wheelchair, and he said to me, Gary, I, I can't go out to work anymore now because of this old MS. But then with a big smile on his face, he said, but the wonderful thing now is that I get to welcome my children home from school every day. Suffering in one area of our lives can give us perspective and help us to count our blessings in another area and be thankful for that. Suffering can help us to sympathize with and support others as well. You see, when we've suffered in a particular way or come through a particular illness or situation or experience, we're able then to better understand other people, what they're going through, and to draw alongside them and help them through their suffering. In a way, perhaps it's someone who hasn't suffered in the same way can't do. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 1, Paul, Paul, who was no stranger to suffering, he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from him. It's that paraclesis thing, isn't it? That idea of drawing alongside someone else, help them through their suffering because we have already walked that path. And ultimately in suffering, in suffering we look beyond the suffering to what lies ahead. We look beyond the suffering to what lies ahead. You see, in Hebrews 12, we read, for the joy, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. As he suffered, Jesus looked beyond the suffering to the joy that lay ahead of him. And so too must we. So too must we. The path that leads to joy was hard for Jesus, and it will be a hard one for us as well. The joy set before Jesus, though, had many levels. There was the joy of being reunited with his Father in heaven, the joy of triumphing over sin and death, the joy of divine rights restored, the joy of seeing one sinner, not to mention millions repenting, coming to faith, the joy of being with his redeemed multitudes from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And Jesus has not gone into the fullness of joy and left us in misery. No, 
No, Jesus made the connection between his joy and ours. As he taught his disciples in John 15, Jesus said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. You see, Jesus knew what his joy would be and he wanted you and me to share in it. My joy will be in you, he said. And you see, folks, we will one day rejoice with as much of the joy of Jesus as we are capable of doing. We will one day rejoice with as much of the joy of Jesus as we are capable of experiencing. But the road will not be an easy one. As we saw earlier, that, that those words from Jesus, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus, the suffering servant, knew all about trouble. That's the path he walked and that's the path his disciples will walk. But the joy, oh, the joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength for the journey. And one day our joy will be complete for the complete joy of the Lord is set before us in our final destination. That's where we're headed. In the same way as the joy set before Jesus helped them endure the suffering, so the joy and the hope empowers and enables us to endure whatever suffering we may encounter, to go through it. Because the suffering, we go through it. Because the suffering is only temporary. But the joy, the joy will be eternal. Psalm 30. Weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And Paul, writing in Romans 8, says this of all our suffering. He says, he looks at all the suffering he has endured. Shipwrecked, beaten, jailed, you name it. Paul was kind of got it. And Paul writes, says, of all the suffering that he endured, of all the suffering we will endure, he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so as we long for and as we pray for revival in our church, in our land, in our own hearts and lives, and while it's not something we go looking for, we see that throughout the Bible and throughout the history of the church and the world that God often uses suffering to bring revival. So just as I finish, and as the band come back up on a platform, please, we see tonight that Christ's suffering leads to our spiritual and physical revival. That collective suffering can lead to church growth and renewal. That individual suffering can lead to our own personal growth and renewal. As we come now to take communion, let us take the rest of this time in God's presence to reflect on these things, to respond in prayer, in communion, in silence, in praise to what he's been saying to us and to what he continues to say to us here tonight. But let us have our minds, our eyes, our hearts fixed on the joy ahead. on Jesus. We're going to sing his praise again. We're going to sing the praise of the one who suffered and died and rose again to bring revival to our hearts and our world.